At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the Grow Your Own Food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Today on the Urban Farm Podcast, we have Mayot Van Eider of the Frugal Chicken to talk about keeping urban chickens. Mayot is a homesteading and chicken expert who helps everyday people learn how to grow their own food in their backyard. She is the founder of the blog, The Frugal Chicken, the author of Chickens, Naturally Raising a Sustainable Flock, and a sought-after freelance writer. When not writing and raising poultry, Mayotte develops online courses about backyard farming to spread the message that freedom is ripe for the picking. I kind of love that. You can grab a free ebook about using fermented feed to raise healthier chickens at thefrugalchicken.com backslash the better egg. Welcome to the show today, Mayotte. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at now? Sure. Well, I started my homesteading and backyard keeping uh, journey basically, you know, several years ago when my husband and I lived in a condo, believe it or not. And we always wanted backyard chickens. And obviously, you know, in in a condo, you can't keep one. So one day we just said, uh, you know, that, you know, Forget all this. You know, we were tired of uh, working and working to keep the condo, keeping the condo to work, and that, that sort of thing. So we just left everything and bought our farm, which we have here um, in, in Arkansas. And, you know, of course, naturally the first thing on our mind was getting back to our chickens. So that's sort of where our journey started. And, you know, keeping them, you know, whenever I do anything, I want to do everything the best that I can. So I learned everything that I could about keeping them and all about, you know, feeding them and what makes you know, their eggs better, what makes their eggs more nutritious. I spent a lot of time reading, you know, industry journals and those sort of things in order to learn everything I could. Wow. So you moved, you bought a farm, you moved to a farm. Can you tell us a little bit about your farm? Yeah, it's, a, it's actually 10 acres. And, you know, oh, people wow. think about, you know, yeah, homesteading and backyard farming and that sort of thing. They think large tracts of land. Uh-huh. But the bottom line is that you actually don't need that much land. We have 10 acres, but we actually do most of our backyard farming and keep our chickens and everything on about three acres. You know, two, two to three acres is what we use. Mm-hmm. I've never actually, you know, taken out the yardstick and measured it, but you can, we, we still are able to do it in a very small area and be extremely productive. You know, we're able to get all of our eggs. You know, we, we produce all of our eggs. We're, we're able to produce all of our chicken meat, obviously. Um, we're able to produce pork. We're able to produce turkeys and, and all sorts of other backyard, you know, ducks, all sorts of other backyard poultry. So in just a very small amount of space, we've been able to 
produce a large a large portion of our diet for the year, which is you know amazing if you ask me. Wow, no kidding. So tell me all the things you mentioned a few things. Tell me all the things you raise in three acres. Well, we obviously have our gardens. Um, you know, and one mistake I made you know, our first year here was uh-huh. that I tried to have these huge gardens <laughs> and I tried growing this, this that, and the other thing. It's right. basically the beginner mistake that everyone makes when they first get their farm, and you know we're going to grow everything. And you know I tried tried growing kohlrabi, and you know so. Now I've scaled that back down quite a bit, and we only concentrate on the things we're actually going to eat in our garden. So, for example, we grow a lot of different kinds of tomatoes because so many kitchen staples can be made from tomatoes. So, that's, you know, we also have an orchard. We are, we've tried to establish an orchard. So we have apple trees and we have peach trees. We're hopefully going to have a successful peach harvest this year. Um, our apple trees, unfortunately, were uh, subject to mauling by our goats. Oh, no. Um, so I'm not so sure we're going to have a successful... Um, apple harvest this year but so we've tried to sort of hit touch on every point of backyard farming that we could mm-hmm. you know from the vegetable to the fruit to the meat when our goats were in milk we had milk we were able to make backyard uh homestead cheeses and those sort of things nice nice so you and you specifically concentrated on chickens Mm-hmm. So why do you, and, and it seems to be a phenomenon that we have going on in this country right now uh, about people raising chickens. Why do you think that so many people are starting to do this all of a sudden? I think largely because there's a large distrust of um, our nation's food systems, you mm-hmm. know, the, the stuff you buy at the grocery store. There's a, there's a large distrust of that, and people are becoming a lot more sophisticated about the origins of our food. You know, like my parents' generation, for example, you know, they were baby boomers, and it didn't matter where it came from. What mattered is that it was convenient. And I think yeah. um, my generation, you know, we've started to really kind of grow away from that and realize that maybe some of those decisions that we as a you know, society made, you know, all those decades ago were not some of the best ideas. So I think now, you know, chickens are easy to care for. They're accessible and eggs are a large part of our diet. You know, obviously, meat for protein is a large part of our diet. So it's an easy way for people to begin to take control of their food source and mm-hmm. know exactly where the food is coming from. So I think that that's why it's becoming more popular. Yeah. When they're, and they're so easy to raise. I, I'm a big proponent that if somebody's got a backyard, they need to have three hens back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. So how does the quality of a hen's diet affect the quality of the eggs? That's a that, that's one of those wild card questions that my sweetie Heidi and I have pondered for quite a long time. And it sounds like you've done some research there. I have, actually. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those questions, too, that a lot of people think it's kind of like hocus pocus. Like, if you're not, if you haven't read the research, if you haven't, you know, looked at all the evidence out there, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to believe. But there's been enough studies that have shown us that the quality of what they eat actually does affect their egg quality. For example, there was a study done in Denmark where they fed hens fermented feed, and they found that the eggs were healthier, that the hens themselves were healthier, the eggs were lower in cholesterol. So, you know, there, there's a lot of evidence out there to, to show that, you know, uh, hens that ate fermented feed had lower incidences of, of, like, salmonella and campylobacter and E. coli in their gut. So, for example, if you harvest a chicken, and, you know, it, it, for the meat, obviously. Right. And you want to eat that meat, a hen that's eaten fermented feed will, will have a lower incidence of those pathogens. 
Similarly, a lot of these studies have shown that the eggs themselves have lower incidence of salmonella, for example, in them. So there's enough evidence out there to, to, to tell me that the quality of what she eats, if she's eating fermented feed, that that will dictate the quality of her Well, and it makes perfect sense that what you put in is, you know, if you put in good stuff, you're going to get stuff, good stuff out, I would think. Mm -hmm. In your bio, you spoke about using fermented feed, and you just now sp again spoke about using fermented feed. Tell us what what's that look like? How you know how do we get fermented feed to our chickens, and and what's it do for them? Sure, there's actually two different ways, and the way that it looks is is dependent on what you feed. So, for example, commercial feed, if it's fermented, looks very different than if you've made something homemade, you know, with corn and uh -huh. peas or lentils or whatever it looks very different. So commercial feed will, it ferments very well. You, know, you put it underwater, you submerge it underwater for three to four days. Mm -hmm. It comes out very mushy and hens kind of don't know what to do with it, with the texture of it. Right. You know, they, they sort of look at you like, you know, what, what is this, you know? So I recommend in that situation that if somebody wants to feed fermented commercial feed, they mix it with something that has better texture like oats or mealworms or even, you know, dry commercial feed. Mm -hmm. Fermented feed that is made from a homemade feed, for example, though, that will have a much different texture. It won't be mushy at all. It'll be firm. So the commercial feed, when you feed it, you have to put it in a bowl. If you just throw it on the ground, it's just going to get you know mushed into the ground. Mm -hmm. Whereas a fermented homemade feed, you can just throw it up the same way that you would you know regularly. But with the there's always fluid, obviously, that comes with fermenting anything. Um, you want to make sure that they actually get that fluid also because that's full of all sorts of beneficial bacteria. Oh, interesting, of course. So basically all you're doing is you're taking your feed and soaking it for three days. You're soaking it underwater. That, that's the key element of this. You need to make sure that it stays completely underwater. If you don't, then you're on the risk of things like mold. Fermenting is you're creating an environment in which bad bacteria can't grow very well, but good bacteria can. Oh. And the reason for that is, yeah, yeah. So um, if it comes above the water line, right. you run the risk of those bacteria that normally degenerate food, mm -hmm. you run the risk of them molding it. Whereas underwater, they can't grow because they require oxygen to grow. Right. But underwater, you know, lactobacillus, which is the main uh, bacteria that helps ferment feed into something super nutritious. Mm -hmm. It can, it, it, it's best in an anaerobic environment. Oh, interesting. All right, and what's this do for the chickens? For the chickens, it actually makes them really healthy. Like we talked about, it will lower the path, it was proven to lower the, path the pathogens in their right. gut. So it lowers, you know, pathogens like salmonella, um, E. coli, and that sort of thing. It also helps them, you know, be healthier. And, you know, the more beneficial bacteria they have in their gut, the better their immune system will be because they're better able to right. fight off those pathogens, obviously. So it's just like us eating fermented food then. Exactly. Wow. Yep. Cool. You know, I have to tell you, until we started talking about this, what, three or four minutes ago, I had never thought about feeding the chickens fermented food. Yeah, it's one of those things that's sort of like a landmark, you know, watershed moment for most people. Uh -huh. Kind of once you start, it's hard to go back and you realize just how beneficial it is for them and how beneficial it is for you. You, know, you are what yeah. you eat. When we feed our chickens a lot of grains, uh, we get, you know, we get organic grains and make our own, um, you know, make our own 
poultry mix for them, mm-hmm. and we could we could ferment those grains before we gave them gave them to them. So that's that's okay. You got me thinking. <laughs> your your job's done. Your job's done for today. Well, not quite, but <laughs> you inspired me. So how did you get started with blogging about backyard chickens and farming and like that? Well, particularly with chickens, there's a lot of information out in the web that's questionable. Mm -hmm. Um, A good example the other day is I saw an article that suggested you feed your chickens comfrey. And according to the University of Maryland Medical Center, comfrey actually is, uh, when you eat it, it's actually toxic. It has um, something in it that messes with the liver. And so Mm -hmm. you obviously don't want your chickens eating it. Comfrey is good for topical, you know, salves and stuff like that, but you don't want to actually eat it. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the University of Maryland Medical Center. So, you know, that's just an example of some of the information I see out there with chickens. Oh, Another yeah. one is the difference between medicated and non-medicated chick starter. A lot of people think oh. not, uh, medicated chick starter has antibiotics in it. It actually doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, it has an antiprotozoal in it. So, I'm sorry, it has what I'm in sorry? it? An antiprotozoal, it has something to help uh, ch- uh, chicks Build up an immunity to uh, parasites that are naturally found in soil. Uh-huh. So, but a lot of people think it's an antibiotic, and so that's just an example of some of the information, misleading information I see out there. So I really started my blog to help people, you know, have a resource they could go to that has you know research-backed information on it, so that they can rely on that information and know that that they're getting ways to raise their chickens uh-huh. that will actually help them and benefit the chickens. Cool. Cool. So for our, for our listeners out there that don't have chickens, um, how do they get started? It's like, what do you do? Where's your, what's your first steps? Even if they don't, you know, have a lot of space. Well, your very first step is to make sure that you can have chickens in your area. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, they sort of say, well, I'm not going to have the city tell me what I have to do and can't do with my own property. But that's a really bad place to start because if you're not allowed to have them, they're going to find out eventually and it's going to be this heartbreaking situation and mm-hmm. a stressful situation. So the first thing is make sure that you are allowed to keep chickens. And then um, find out, obviously, how many you're allowed to have. Mm-hmm. But if you have a small space, my suggestion is to get two or three chickens. They can be kept in a relatively small area. You want, in a coop, you want... Um, if they're not going to free range, you want 10 square feet of space per bird. So that's a pretty small area in right. the backyard to, to keep some backyard chickens. And the rule of thumb is you want two chickens per member of the household. But obviously, if uh, you, know, you have a 10-person household and you have you live on a quarter of an acre, you can't keep 30 chickens, obviously. So you, know, you want to kind of like look at your, look at the amount of space you have and work within that. But you know, two or three chickens will keep you an egg for quite a bit. Right, right, and that, that's a that's a good uh, rule of thumb. I'd never heard that before either. Uh, two two hens per person in your household. Mm-hmm. That that was actually a standard developed um, during World War II when the government actually encouraged people to have backyard chickens. Wow. And one of uh, one of the pieces of propaganda they passed out at that time was two chickens per person in the household will keep everybody in eggs. So that's kind of where that standard came from. Yeah. Cool. So what's your favorite time-saving tip for someone new to backyard farming? Sure. My favorite time-saving tip is 
to only grow what you're actually going to eat. And we, you know, we talked about this uh, a little yes. bit at the beginning, but yeah. yeah, people, they imagine having these large complex gardens where they're, you know, growing everything. And that's actually a huge time suck. Whereas if you only grow a few vegetables, you know, for example, we focus on tomatoes, like I said, you get into a rhythm and you don't overwhelm yourself uh-huh. with, with everything you're going to have to do, you know, for the kohlrabi and the cabbage and, uh, and the carrots and uh, yeah. know, all the, picking the bugs off and then everything. So if you just focus on one or two or three vegetables, you're, you're going to be good to go. Perfect. And then only plant what you love. Yep. I get that question a lot from people that, you know, they'll come to me I, at the urban farm here. I do tours and stuff and they'll be standing in my front yard and it's like, Greg, what do I grow? And it's like, what do you love to grow? That's really where you have to start. Yeah, and that, that's a big mistake we made um, our first couple of years here. Uh-huh. I, I grew a lot of different stuff, and I sweated, you know, every day, you know, <laughs> weeding and everything. And the interesting thing is that nobody wanted to eat anything I grew. We have two kids and a husband. My husband won't touch any vegetables. And I said to myself, you know what? It's time to start scaling back a little bit yeah. and only growing the things that we're actually going to use. Yeah. Plus, I found that nature is so dang abundant that, you know, you plant zucchinis and the neighbors go running every time you come knocking because you're trying to give them away. Yeah, that, that's probably another tip I have for people is grow what you're good at growing. Uh-huh. Um, for, for example, I'm not that great at growing cabbage, so uh-huh. it makes less sense for me to grow cabbage than it does for me to grow tomatoes, which I grow very well. I just right. have a knack for tomatoes. Yeah. Well, and that's a that's a bonus because tomatoes are a high dollar crop and cabbage is not. So, yeah, bonus for you. Yes, yeah. There's something about tomatoes in the in the collective consciousness that everyone just loves tomatoes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I'm going to shift on you a little bit, and I would like you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure, and what have you what you might have learned from it. Sure. Well, we talked a little bit about how. You know, our first year here, we grew all this, all these vegetables, and nobody wanted them. That was really actually a failure on my part to not sit and think about what we really needed Mm -hmm. to do. Like I said, we have two small kids. My son is three and my daughter is two. And, you know, they don't eat too many vegetables. We try to get them to eat vegetables, but it's kind of a fight. You know know what they're like at that age. Um, And my husband won't really eat any vegetables. So it became clear that, that I didn't think very clearly about what our needs were oh, yes. and what was really important. And that's where I sort of started to specialize more in, in backyard poultry and chickens and meat production, because that's really where a large portion of our diet is. It's actually in proteins from meat. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was sort of one failure, failure I had is just assuming we have this, we have this farm now, let's you know, grow everything and, yeah. and doing more work than I really should have had to do at the time. So what did you do with all the extra food? We we actually feed a, whatever whatever produce we have that we don't uh, consume ourselves. I actually feed to my pigs. All right, well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. We don't have. Um, I know a lot of people like to take it to like food pantries and stuff. We don't actually have that in our area, uh-huh. and and so we, we that's just what we do. We figure it's a good way to close, you know, the, the sort of the theoretical circle, so to speak. You know, we grow the food right. for the pigs, and then the big pigs feed us, and of course. that sort of thing. Absolutely. That's perfect. So what do you consider your biggest success? 
raising a really wonderful flock. We, wow. my, my first year or two here, I actually spent a lot of time choosing breeding stock. And so the chickens we have now are actually a, um, a hybrid that I've developed here that lay consistently. They lay in the winter and they're actually big birds. So through the sort of the selective breeding that I've done, we've actually come up with, with birds that are both good for meat and for eggs. And that's something that I'm really proud of because you know, sort of our flock started from nothing. Uh-huh. And now it's, now we have over you know 200 birds that can provide both eggs and meat for us. And that, that means it's a pretty big achievement. No kidding. So that's eggs and meat from the same birds. From the same, the same breed, yeah. Yeah, that's what I mean, from the same breed. Yeah. Um, wow. Because normally there's, uh, uh, you know, you have your egg layers and you have your meat birds and, you know, they don't come together. Well, yeah, yeah, we have figured out how to make it, make them dual purpose in that way. And we actually have um, people in our area, neighbors in our area who purchase the chickens from us. You know, the roosters is what they, is what they choose to buy. And they actually buy roosters um, from all over the area and they say that our roosters are the, are the best to eat. Oh, nice. Nice. So you're doing both. Obviously, you're butchering chickens, and obviously, and getting them for eggs. Mm-hmm. The butchering process. How was that the first time you did it? You know, it's very interesting because I get that question a lot. Mm-hmm. And the first time you do it, obviously, it's hard. But if somebody wants to get into meat birds and they're not sure that they can handle uh-huh. the butchering aspect of it. My recommendation is actually to go to for Cornish crosses and that's what we started out with right. because they grow so large so fast. And I've seen what these birds turn into when you make them into pets and you try to get eggs from them <laughs> and they get so big that it's just no life for them. Right. So it helps you ease into the the role of butcherer, so to speak, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because you know yeah, because you know that, you're, that at the end of the day, you're doing them a favor. Mm-hmm. Um, Cornish crosses especially don't do well in summer. So if you raise them, you know, you buy them in March and you raise them for 10 weeks, you know by the time it gets hot, you're actually doing them a favor because they're, they're likely to die of heat stress. Right. When they get so big, I've raised, those are the ones that I've raised here in the backyard at the urban farm. And they get so big so fast that you, you know, basically you're right. You have to do them a favor and otherwise they fall over. They can't actually yep. get up and move around, and that's this particular hybrid. Yep. And so that that's, you know, you always feel bad the first time you do it. Mm-hmm. Everybody does. Or anybody who has emotions feels bad the first time you do it. But, it, you know, we, we picked that breed specifically because we knew it was going to be easier. Yeah. How did you go about hybridizing a chicken to you know, get it to the point of being able to get both eggs and meat out of one breed. You know, it's really funny because we just lucked into it. And we, we had a, we had a, we have a, a, uh, a rooster that would, for whatever reason, what he throws is just an incredible representation of the chicken. It, they, all, all of his, and all of his sons, you know, we're, we're three generations, four generations past that now. Right. And every descendant of this particular rooster, they grow fast. They lay eggs consistently. They're, they're, the hen we got them from was a production red. 
Oh, so, wow. just yeah, interestingly, and that's why they all lay so well because of her bloodline. Mm-hmm. And there was just something, something in the mix between the two. And after our you know third crop from these two birds, I said to my husband, I said, "Look what he's throwing. They're they're huge and they're four weeks old." You know, they're, they're every single one, and they're, they're partially sex-linked because the, the ones that are buff, they're, you know, they're, they're born, that chicks that are buff, uh-huh. and the chicks that are uh, a brownish color, they're, you know, female and male, respectively. And then we get, we get a black color that's, you know, either or. But it, it's just, I don't even sure how to, like, I'm stunned by it, honestly, because they just they grow so fast. Yeah. But four weeks, they're huge, but they all lay consistently. Wow, for how long do they, they lay? They lay, they lay the same amount of, of any other bird, you know, hmm. six years now, and uh, they're, they're still laying. Wow. I mean, not, not, you know, not consistently at six years old, but, you know, I mean, right. the, the younger the younger breed, you know, one or two years old, they're still laying, and, and they lay every day. So we have... Uh, 50 layers, and we get a lot of, a lot of eggs. No bet. Isn't that cool? What do you do with all your eggs? We have happy pigs, <laughs> let me tell you. Yeah. Um, I don't sell our eggs because it's more work, I think, than the money you get from it. Uh-huh. And then if you want to, you know, uh, scale it, for example, sell it to a grocery store, you have to have all sorts of certifications for it. Yeah. So it made more sense to me to use what we want to use, give some to friends, and then use the rest, you know, in a... In a, in a um, inadvertent manner of you know feeding our pigs, which ends the Yeah, perfect. Well, you know, and, and this whole notion of a sustainable farm uh, really looks at how you create enough food on you know in your space to feed what you're growing in that space. So that's you know, yay on you. Good for figuring that one Thank out. Thank you. Yeah, that's one thing I actually recommend to people. A lot of you know readers who people who read my blog they don't have a lot of money or they don't have a lot of money to spend on their chickens. Uh-huh. And they ask me a lot, you know, how can you save money? And, you know, that's what I tell them. I tell them to grow the food that you can grow for them. Yeah. And even if you can only grow half of it, you're still saving on your feed bill. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just am in the process of digging up our backyard here at the urban farm. Now the urban farm's right in the middle of Phoenix and I, you know, I've got houses all around me and I am digging up the backyard, the grass, and planting a pasture out there with with food for the chickens. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just, I got tired yeah. of mowing the grass. I figured, let's grow something that the chickens will eat. Yeah, and that's sort of the same process that we went through. Um, another one that we're uh, growing a lot of our food for are rabbits. Oh, uh-huh. Backyard rabbits. And uh, meat rabbits, obviously. Right. And um, we... The first year we had them, you know, they're, they're relatively new to the farm. We bought a lot of grain for them, but they sort of cut down a feed cost. This year we're starting to grow a lot of food for them. So yeah. in the winter, we're obviously going to have to you know, buy grain for them. But this time of year, we're looking to grow as much as we can for them. Nice. Nice. So my next question for you is what drives you? What's your big why? Well, in terms of raising chickens, you know, the, the big why behind it is the self-sufficiency aspect of it. Yeah. It's very important to us to be less dependent on having to go to the grocery store for every day, for example, uh-huh. and to produce as much as we can for ourselves. It's, just, it's, it's a level of freedom that most people, if you don't live this life, 
most people don't see it. Yeah. You know, even you know, being able to walk into our backyard and harvest lettuce and have a salad for dinner, mm-hmm. there's a level of independence and a level of, of satisfaction that comes from it. Yeah. That you know, if you're not doing it, you don't realize what you're missing. It, how does it feel when you, I'm, I'm sure that you have days where you eat an entire meal or multiple meals out of your yard? How does that feel? It feels very satisfying is the word I like to, to use. It's really incredible to me, actually, that that is something that we can do because I didn't grow up that way. Yeah. You know, we, we live in a condo where, you know, we went to Wegmans and bought whatever we wanted. But there's a level of pride that comes with it, but also, you know, for example, I forget that you can go to the grocery store and buy canned peas. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, you get so used to just doing everything yourself yeah. that, you know, it, it and like I said, there's a large amount of satisfaction and pride that comes with it, knowing that it's, it's almost actually also more convenient, if that makes any sense. You know, you don't yeah. have to drive to the store to buy something. You don't have to have the money for it. It's right there, yeah. you know. So if, you know, you're somebody who is worried about not being prosperous, if you have to, you know, if you give up your job to start a backyard farm, uh-huh. it's, it, it's, it, there, there's no comparison. There's, there's no feeling of lacking, if that makes any sense. You don't feel like you're, you're denying yourself anything. If anything, you feel like you're adding to your life in yeah. ways that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. That, I am beyond words on this at this moment because of what you just said, because I, I still feel the same way. I have this, uh, you know, the urban farm, middle of Phoenix. My office is kind of on the back of the property and where I'm recording from right now. And often during the day, I'll get up and go walk in the yard and feed the chickens and uh, pull weeds and, you know, just in the space. So it, it builds that connection for me. And it sounds like that's what it's doing for you, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? You know, just if you are interested in backyard farming and if you're not sure, you know, if you're interested in backyard chickens, obviously also, and you're not sure if it's something that you want to do, just try it. You know, I think that you'll get a lot more out of it than you ever imagined. I mean, when we started our farm, I never imagined that this is the way that we would feel. Mm -hmm. And what is that feeling? Can you share that with me? Pride, freedom, independence. Yeah, perfect. Fre- freedom, freedom is really the word I like to use because yeah, you know, there was one day, and I remember the, 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 the day that I realized really what we were doing here, and really what anybody who wants to try to do this, you know, needs to understand. You know, there was a day when I was trying to decide if I should keep a job or not, mm-hmm. and I said to myself, and it struck me like like lightning, and I said to myself it doesn't matter if I keep the job or not because we have milk, we have eggs, we have meat, we have vegetables. There's nothing that we're going to be denied if I don't do this job anymore. And that is something that unless you are in a situation, you know, unless you've tried backyard farming, uh-huh. you're never going to have that freedom. And that's that to me sounds like true freedom. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that, that, is, that is freedom in a way that most people don't ever get to experience because it didn't matter 
if I kept the job or not. Right. Because we, we were not going to be denied anything. That's because we, we had the ability to do it ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Any last thoughts? No, no. It's it's definitely been a great a great time talking to you. And, and if people want to try chickens, just hop right into it and just try. Don't Don't be afraid. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Mayotte. It's been a treat getting to chat with you about your experiences. Well, thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it. Absolutely. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? Your listeners can visit me at thefrugalchicken.com. And don't forget about the free book called The Better Egg, which you can get at thefrugalchicken.com slash thebetteregg. Perfect. Perfect. I'm going to get that right now. I'm going to share it with Heidi. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.